Okay, well, we're just talking about how difficult it is to start episodes, but I'm joined here today um, with Nicholas. Thank you for listening um, to today's episode um, and tuning in. And it's been a little while since our last episode, but we checked in with me last time. I just quit my job and... Yeah, now I'm kind of starting new things. Um, but Nicholas, how have you been doing lately? Well, starting starting new things, what does that mean? I feel like we left the last episode on a bit of a, a cliffhanger there. So um, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe you owe the uh, owe everyone here a little bit of an update. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, I, I'd say it's mostly been either finishing or starting new freelance projects around the work that I've done, whether it's writing or podcasting, but I'd say I'm definitely excited by some of the new people I've been able to work with and also potential new job offers. Um, But I don't want to jinx myself. I don't want to throw anything off. So I'll probably keep it, keep it at that for sure. (laughs) Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Yeah. I don't want to jinx anything for you too, but uh, definitely hope there's some good good opportunities coming your way. I guess yeah, we were planning on doing this episode today with an interview um, with Prairie Sage Protectors. Um, they describe themselves as new and experienced organizers who basically saw um, a need for more um, unified and radical response across the prairies to the ongoing and escalating oppression um, of state of the state and its agents um, and. A lot of it, I think, was spurred around 2020 and, and what was going on. And we did an episode around Camp Pekawewin and what was going on there. So um, I think it's it's another group um, in Edmonton that's trying to take matters into their own hands and trying to enact direct community change um, through resources. So do you want to maybe talk about... Um, ways that listeners can support them and, and, and how to find more information maybe? Yeah, totally. Um, well, so they, they have, uh, like an ongoing GoFundMe, um, and, you know, we're, uh, supporters of them here on, um, on the show. So, you know, definitely go, uh, go and, and contribute to that. Um, looks like they're, uh, a lot under what they had set as the fundraising goal. I'm not sure how much, that was actually meant to be a budget or if they just kind of put a high cap there um, in order to make it clear that they're just going to be uh, open to donations on, on an ongoing basis. But um, they're like regularly running food and clothing drives and just providing um, different kinds of opportunities to uh, help out in the community. So follow them on uh, socials as well. And um, <laughs> on their socials here, uh, here's a banger from uh, Canada Day, uh, they tweeted out, uh, the most Edmonton thing you can do, evict unhoused, disabled, Treaty 6 Indians off ancestral ceremonial lands in 2020, fence it off for two years, charge anyone for trespassing, and allow settlers to park over our ancestors so they can celebrate our genocide. Hashtag cancel Canada Day. And uh, the photo here is... Uh, a bunch of pickup trucks parked, I guess, at the Camp Pekawewin site. Um, I'm guessing to attend festivities, whatever, at the legislature or to watch fireworks. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty insulting. And um, I think they they nailed they really nailed it there. Yeah, I was in the area, um, and if you notice there's a, a baseball diamond across the field from where the campsite was and whenever there's games they use that as a parking lot as well so it's oh really pretty, yeah yeah um you know everyone can take advantage of the land yeah. except for you know people who you know arguably have the most right to actually um take advantage of it so pretty we uh, still have baseball games here Technically, we do. Yeah, exactly. So oh, okay. you're not the only one, I think, who'd be confused by that. I know there's a baseball diamond there. I didn't think it was being being used for anything. Mm, yeah, college yeah. kids in the States come to Edmonton, of all places, to play summer college baseball. So, oh, no, well, it's not college yeah. baseball, technically, but, you know, they're all college kids. So Right. Yeah. Well, and that, I guess that would explain why that would be such a draw, that, of course, they would need that that space for for, for parking. So, yeah, checks out. That, that checks out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, we're, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to, um, you know, get them, get them on the show. But, 
I guess that's, you know, also the kind of the nature of this work. Obviously, people who were people whose voices and perspectives we're trying to amplify are are typically not the people who have like a PR team or who have like representatives always just going out and doing interviews. So yeah, sometimes it makes it a little bit um, challenging to uh, do interviews, but we're also not trying to necessarily just book interviews with the kind of people who are um, very ready with their talking points to um, kind of get out there. Um, I guess like people who may be, you know, working more in politics or connected to some of these more um, powerful institutions. So, um, yeah, look out for that in the future, but, uh, please try and support them in the meantime, if you can. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess following up from last month's, uh, episode where we touched on, um, a few more topics related to, uh, labor, we're going to be, um, diving a little bit more into, uh, the current inflation situation. Um, obviously inflation has been, wild this year and uh the june numbers were just higher than ever so that's definitely something we want to dig into more how that's affecting people and how the media is covering it and um i guess how corporations are continuing to take advantage of the situation um to the tune of more profits than ever um but we just wanted to start off the episode um, with something pretty significant that happened in Edmonton this past week, and that's kind of tying a little bit back to the topic of um, encampments that we were just uh, just on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Pope was in Edmonton this week to deliver what was called by him, uh, 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 I think it was like a penance, um, you know, apology mm-hmm. tour. Um, and where the Pope was supposed to visit, it's his church um, called Sacred Heart. And then there was also a service at Commonwealth. But around the Sacred Heart community is definitely at the heart of a lot of Edmonton's um, a homeless crisis, a lot of the drug poisoning crisis. And I think we all know that Indigenous people are very much so overrepresented in the homeless population. So before the Pope came to Edmonton, um, and held the mass um, at the church. This tweet um, essentially is testifying um, what a lot of people essentially witnessed. Um, and here I'm just quoting from it. It says, in prep for the Pope coming to Edmonton, EPS cleared all encampments within five block radius um, of the church. The folks who got displaced are residential school survivors. Here's my message to him. Apology without reparations rings hollow survivors still live here and people went as far as going to the church and actually laying out a orange banner at the front of the church saying you know survivors still live here yeah i feel like it, it kind of ties back with what you're saying you know these are very edmonton things to do it's just like bulldoze over the reality that people are still facing in order to um get into this like symbolic um you know, ritual that we're going to talk about later, whether or not this actually has any impact on basically anyone. Um, and I was actually there on the ground for a little bit. Nicholas, you'll talk a little bit more too about how like you were able to kind of see things firsthand, but my experience was relatively limited. I was recording a service at Sacred Heart before the Pope was there. So kind of a rehearsal, but also capturing what typically happens um, at that church. Um, so you, you, you were at Commonwealth, right, Nicholas? So do you want to maybe say like, uh, what that experience was like and, and what you noticed? Yeah, totally. We've got some, uh, exclusive, is this for real on the ground reporting here? It's kind of a coincidence <laughs> that I guess we were just both, um, both kind of doing stuff related to this, this Pope visit. Um, sorry, but I guess before we actually go into that, I do just want to mention, yeah, it's like the whole idea of papering over the, the bad the, the so-called, you know, bad, uh, bad looking parts or sides of um, Edmonton's core, you know, that's something we talked about uh, related to the Oilers in uh, past episodes and how, you know, during the playoffs, but obviously just throughout the whole development of the ice district, it's all been about how can we basically push people out of this area um, in order to make that uh, that space appear more sanitary 
um, or more welcoming for a certain clientele that has money. And it was the same kind of idea in pushing people out of Camp Ekwewin when the uh, Rossdale residents, um, I think they were just kind of like complaining about uh, there being this kind of unsightly gathering in, uh, in ironically, yeah, in, in their so-called uh, neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's really just this, yeah, that kind of tendency to to try and hide hide the places that that don't look good. And it's it's especially ironic here because the Pope is supposedly coming here to apologize for residential schools and um, the trauma and the uh, legacy that that carries forward um, to this day. And it's impossible to separate that, that legacy. Like that, th- that legacy is so, is so tied to uh, today's um, homelessness uh, crisis, right? And here's an opportunity to get more uh, eyes on the issue, to get more people talking about it, and to really make that issue visible and tie those things together, yet that that instinct to cover up those blemishes only serves to actually downplay that legacy and downplay that issue and make it seem like the Pope is coming here to apologize for something that's in the past or that we moved on from already that doesn't really have much bearing on the present and that uh, that almost doesn't doesn't really need to be addressed in um, in as as significant a way as it really uh, truly does. So one of the events that happened when the Pope came to visit and uh, was at Mascochis um, on Indigenous territory, um, there was someone who went up and started singing. And immediately what the media reaction was to this like very powerful, uh, very emotional moment was to label these words that were said as Oh Canada and then really, I guess, um, you know, use this moment to really relish in the Canadianness of it and and how it really shows this deep-seated connection between um, Indigenous people and Canada and how we can, you know, really relish in our in our cultural and our national symbols. Um, and then only for the real news to come out that the intention of this singer, this Cree singer, was never to sing O Canada, that the national anthem... Um, you know, maybe similar to um, the actual song that this person was trying to sing, but it, it was it had no relation. But you know, we quickly jumped onto that as you know so, uh, some way to pump the typical Canadian kind of national lingo that, in my opinion, is 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 incredibly surface level and and at its core, I think carries a lot of either meaningless messages or very colonial messages. Um, that needed to be, you know, pumped in to what this person was doing um, at the yeah. Pump. Yeah, that's, that's a really good, yeah, and that's just like another really good example of just the way that we try to avoid um, confronting, confronting hard truths or confronting anything that's going to make us uncomfortable. This is after they uh, gave Pope Francis the traditional headdress, yeah. right? Which obviously kind of a problematic and like disturbing symbol there like what is what is that supposed to mean um i thought this whole thing was about uh was about breaking down that colonial influence and um challenging uh institutional power but um apparently she was like telling him basically to take it off and the way that it was covered the way the media jumped to covering it because what she was singing was in the was in the tune of O Canada, uh, the way the media covered it was just as a moving rendition of O Canada. Um, and yeah, Omar, as you mentioned, I was at the uh, mass in, um, in Edmonton at the, at the Commonwealth Stadium. Um, I was uh, playing cello there. And um, something similar happened. I'm actually not, still not even really sure because this isn't something where like, you know, a, a new truth came out um, afterwards. Um, and this actually wasn't actually part of the actual live stream. Uh, I just said actually like three times there, but yeah, this, this wasn't part of the live stream because 
prior to the start of the live stream, they had basically a uh, pre-show where there was other stuff going on. Um, you know, Chief Phil Fontaine made a speech that was actually pretty good, but that wasn't included in the uh, live stream. And um, there was uh, there were these throat singers who um, were going to come up and give a performance. And before their their throat singing performance, they um, they sang O Canada, but it was you know never announced that it was going to be O Canada. Uh, personally, I. I, I agree. I don't, I don't think it would make sense for them to be singing O Canada. I think that also would be deeply pro- problematic considering the Canadian government was, of course, um, very complicit and culpable in the uh, residential school systems and is obviously responsible for the um, oppression of Indigenous peoples in the first place and continuing to this day. Um, so the singing of O Canada, especially during a, well, the singing of O Canada anytime, but especially during a uh, event that's meant to symbolize the penance or atonement for that, that legacy and that dark history uh, would be incredibly um, counterintuitive. Um, so anyways, they, they start singing um, this this tune that kind of sounds like O Canada, but it's, it is kind of more in like a wailing style and everyone in the stadium, you know, as soon as they start to feel like, oh, this is to the tune of O Canada, everyone stands up. And um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm still not not really sure. I mean, I, I hope it was meant to be a similar kind of subversion of O Canada, whether that's as a form of resistance or assertion or um, otherwise some kind of challenge to the framework that they were being made to act within. Um, I, I hope that's what it was, but um, that's definitely not how the crowd uh, interpreted it. So yeah, something kind of basically similar that um, I, I saw happen at the, uh, at the mass there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And, and one thing I think that I didn't think about before was all the power dynamics that are at play there and the difficult mm-hmm. position that a lot of people find themselves in in front of what we're often told is, you know, the center of power, these large institutions and the leaders at the top of that. So I think when someone like that comes to town, I think people view that within a different light, um, within like, you know, we're somehow privileged or, you know, we're we're fortunate to have someone extend themselves as far as someone that's mm. powerful. So I think people almost internalize that and, and react in that way when the reality is, is that this is this is you know, this is a penance, yeah. you know, trip. It's the, 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 the dynamics should be almost flipped. But I think even in that situation, it doesn't, it's not adequate, I think, for the victims and people who've had their whole culture um, go under genocide, essentially. Yeah, to, to, yes, exactly. Yeah, why, why, are, why are the victims of the crime that's supposedly, uh, that the Pope has supposedly come to atone for, why are the victims... Uh, why are the victims kind of expected to feel honored to be in that space or in that presence? Why are they, in fact, honoring the Pope with like a headdress um, as if he is, yeah, the um, colonial ruler come to uh, ask for tribute from his, uh, his, his um, foreign lands, right? Um, definitely just is the same kind of vibes as like, you know, uh, <laughs> like... Uh, whatever Prince William going around the world oh, yeah. and you know people in like uh, poor nations are like supposed to feel so honored to be in his presence and when people were asking me what it was like to be at the mass there um, something I've been saying is that it almost felt like I was living in like medieval times and I mean that in I guess a few different ways basically when the Pope kind of came in in his Pope mobile um, you know, there, there's like a big crowd of people on the floor level of the stadium. Everyone got up and everyone's kind of moving around the stadium. Um, obviously, it's, you know, fenced, so no one can actually get to the Pope. But everyone's like trying to get to the closest spot in that area to the Pope. And as the Pope is kind of driving around the stadium, um, making a full circle, the whole crowd there is making a full circle as well. 
to just stay as, as close as they they can to him so there's those kind of vibes where just you know when you see uh those kind of medieval times or like medieval fiction um depicted in media it's always like this is the kind of reverence that people have for the monarch right um and that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of respect that this ruler commands amongst the uh, amongst the uh, peasants or whatever, amongst the common folk. And um, in the backdrop of all this too is they brought out these uh, Dene drummers to um, be drumming the whole time as uh, Pope Francis is making his way around around the stadium. And he's like blessing babies along the way. So I want to say this was like, 10 minutes or something where it's like slowly making his way uh, around the stadium um, to the front. And the whole time there's these like Dene drummers here. So there's those kind of power dynamics too, where it's like, oh, the focus is on Pope Francis. We're clearly here to uh, honor him. We're here, we're here to pay our respects to him and, uh, and members of the subjugated class are, uh, are given the role of entertainment or meant to um, kind of announce his greatnesses uh, or his, his holiness's uh, entrance uh, or his, um, his arrival, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess upon reflection, I, I feel like that is also kind of uh, problematic. But um, Omar, something I think we were talking about before too is, you know, we can... We can keep nitpicking, I guess, how how the symbolism came across, or um, whether whether this was played, uh, or whether this was presented or curated in an appropriate manner or in a way in which the right message would come across effectively. But I think something we've also kind of just been asking is like, what use even is there to symbolic gestures? what change can even come about from a symbolic apology? I think that's incredibly important to ask, Nicholas. And I feel like without asking that question, the entire trip, I feel like, and this entire experience was for nothing because, you know, what people were saying is that this is supposed to be centered around the lives of survivors, and, you know, survivors have families, there's a larger community, and we all know, the, I, I at least I hope we know the struggles that, you know, Indigenous people are facing. Um, it, and some of the statistics are, are, are pretty baffling, um, especially the ones around incarceration and health, those ones really jump out at me, um, at how remarkably different your life is if you're indigenous compared to if you're um, an immigrant, if you're if you're white. Um, so this entire event and its symbolic meaning feels very meaningless and feels very um, useless in the face of the action needed and the concrete, the material action um, needed to actually um, live up to whatever this symbolic action was supposed to be um because if it's just a you know book closed we've done what we needed to do um situation then it's almost it's almost worse that it happened in some ways um but i guess i guess yeah we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes down but it's it's very conflicting to watch the symbolism being put on a pedestal in, yeah. in many ways yeah, and I mean, people, I think, know that this is get, is getting a lot of visibility. So it is, you know, like we said um, earlier, uh, it is an opportunity for visibility and discussion. Um, and I think there's a lot of calls in this moment for, you know, here's what, here, you know, let's, uh, let's, the Pope should take this opportunity to, like, denounce the um, doctrine of discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, like, this was, it was problematic to um, give him this this headdress. And I think, yeah, a kind of question that would come out of that is like, okay, so would that meaningfully 
advance the um, agenda of decolonization. Like, okay, great, we didn't give him a headdress. Now, is, is that advancing that um, uh, decolonization process? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, we we want to have faith that change can come about uh, following symbolic gestures, um, but I think that's kind of the 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 hopefulness, right, in in us as like humans. Um, and, but I think that's just always, uh, repeatedly proven wrong. And I think a really good example of this is, you know, just in the Canadian government, um, which as we mentioned before is kind of, I don't know, almost like mainly responsible for the, um, legacy of colonization, um, that carries forward to this day. Okay. They've given, you know, um, official apologies for the residential school systems. So what came about from that? You know, Justin Trudeau was here to welcome the Pope, but he kind of just acts almost as if, as the Canadian government, we've moved past that. There's been the apology, and so that's it. Now they're all, now we're on the same side, right? You know, we've been we've been proven wrong already. So what do we? What do we think will happen after the Pope's apology? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. That, that that context is important. That context matters. And I think it informs not only expectations, but also maybe the action or the direction that energy should be um, pointed towards. Um, because, yeah, getting wrapped up in, in, in what happened with the Pope and, and all the implications definitely... Um, can feel like um, it's almost leading to nowhere, given what we've seen before, definitely. Uh, So we wanted to turn our attention to the uh, inflation situation, um, or I guess the inflation crisis um, at this point. You know, we're all feeling it. different people to different degrees. And that's what this kind of new study here is um, laying out. Um, It's actually, uh, the article covering this is um, in the Globe and Mail and the study is from the University of Calgary. And uh, the headline here is, Provinces Leaving Behind Low Income Families as Inflation Surges Study. Omar, have you been doing um, amidst the uh, inflation here? <laughs> yeah, well, not not that great, honestly. I think my first reaction is to laugh because it's been one of my biggest coping mechanisms. Mm. It's just yeah. using the kind of like the you know you can find humor in a lot of things, but it's it's been incredibly difficult financially. I feel like the more progress I make the more I find I somehow fall behind because expenses are just such a big part of the amount of money I make. So it really, I think, has put into perspective just the reality in this economy where the more you make, the easier it is to live just empirically because you don't have as much of a risk of, yeah, just running out of of money or you don't have to worry or have the anxiety that comes with being unsure where your ability to survive will come from because I think that ability is fundamentally tethered to your um, employability and your ability to make money in whatever way possible. So yeah, it's not been the best year for me, but I, I think I'm coming out of the other side of it almost with like a newfound pragmatism because I feel like I've understood that there's no other route to survival outside of outside of making money. Um, you know, I I <laughs> I, I don't have I, I I maybe I can marry rich or you know, someone, mm, yeah. you know get a sponsor, but yeah, the, these are these are the options for most people, and I'm definitely in that boat. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I want that for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> To, to marry rich, yeah. I want that for me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something that I, I, I've been kind of um, just uh, struck by, especially 
throughout the, you know, the, the rapidly rising gas prices is just how, um, people just have no choice. Like, I mean, you think about how the gas price has more than tripled since the lowest point, you know, during the start of the pandemic there and how quickly everyone just kind of has to get used to what the new price is. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you complain about it for at the moment that it goes up and pretty soon you're like, well, that's just, that's just what it is. And everyone just has to deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, the gist of this article and this study from the University of Calgary uh, is basically that inflation impacts low-income people uh, especially hard and that uh, homelessness rates, uh, we were just talking about homelessness earlier in the episode, um, homelessness rates are just inevitably going to increase because of this um, if more isn't done to curb inflation. Mm -hmm. So... Um, these are, you know, stats, I'm sure everyone's, everyone's heard at this point, but, um, a recent statistics Canada report showed the consumer price index reach 8.1% year over year in June, uh, after a 7.7% gain in May, uh, the largest yearly change since 1983. Um, and apparently this suggests that inflation isn't going to cool down for at least another two years, um, uh, because just of you know, we're still coming out of COVID. Um, the Bank of Canada has been increasing uh, interest rates. And um, obviously, there is just kind of an ongoing uh, World War III, um, in case uh, anyone didn't, didn't uh, notice. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, article goes on to say uh, the index, um, the consumer price index, can be helpful to understand the strain on middle-income households, but it's a terrible measurement to understand the impact to lower-income households, which spend a significantly larger portion of their budget on shelter and food. And Omar, that's exactly like what you were talking about here, where it's lower-income households where the inflation is making the difference between breaking even and uh, not being able to survive, or... Um, having to um, go without something that you need. And, you know, for uh, middle income or higher income, people who might have more of a safety net or who might already be in a situation where they are, you know, growing their savings or putting aside money, it's not really impacting them the same way. No, it's a, it's a very fundamental change. And I feel like because there is so little solidarity, um, broadly speaking, between different parts of the working class, it makes communicating this difference and maybe understanding it a little bit more difficult. But I think for those who experience it and maybe fluctuate in their life between different phases, it's it's so easy to understand how much this impact is, is so much deeper when, you know, 80% of your budget goes towards paying rent and food and then that extra 20% is... is already so minimal um it doesn't it, yeah it's 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 very different versus someone who's yeah like you said nicholas is paying like what like 20 percent of their income towards um those necessities or maybe a little bit more um it, it makes it, it makes a huge difference um and in alberta like this article is saying we have the lowest percentage of social assistance income indexed to inflation um but Still, this this idea that um, social assistance should be indexed to inflation still falls under uh, the problem with the fact that inflation isn't necessarily the only marker that we could use to dictate whether or not people should be receiving more than they currently are. Because if we're only using inflation, I think we're definitely missing a lot of other indicators that people's lives are unaffordable or that they can't plan for you know, things that are going to be more expensive in the future if, you know, they don't have access to to, to more mm. money, basically. Yeah, I mean, not to mention that, you know, even, you know, even indexing to inflation, let's say, on a month-to-month basis, uh, ignores the fact that as inflation rises month-to-month, people still have to pay those costs. And then if the social assistance isn't indexed until the month 
afterwards, it's just like inherently lagging and not even meeting the bar. So already indexing social assistance programs to um, inflation is a very low bar, yet uh, only 32% of social assistance in Alberta for lone parents is indexed to inflation. And for single adults uh, without kids, it's only 3%. So we're not even kind of meeting that really low bar in Alberta. And by the way, Alberta is the lowest um, out of the uh, out of out of all the provinces here for um, indexing social assistance income to inflation. Between index and wage conversations and poverty conversations, I think all of this leads somewhere, or at least it has an impact and a consequence. And the impact and the consequence is poverty. And I think that is not only shown in how much homeless people there are and how much that has grown since the pandemic basically doubled in Edmonton Mm -hmm. but also things like food banks so um, the demand at the Edmonton food bank for example doubled since 2020 as well Um, and rising costs for food also make it difficult so services that I think are accessible and open and serving working class families I think across the board um, feel that strain when people aren't able to support themselves. And I think it also cascades into so many other things. The lack of control in your own life can, I think, lead to a lot of personal turmoil and you know doubt and questioning um, because I think ultimately there is a certain satisfaction or at least like um, it's, it's important for people to know that they can um, rely on themselves. Um, but when that's taken away or when, you know, people still continue to work and they still aren't able to to get where they need to be um, I think there's there's a crisis there's a crisis that um, needs solving essentially definitely yeah and then this this article just ends here with basically saying uh, that for every one percent increase in rent relative to income there will be a two percent increase in the prevalence of homelessness that seems um, really, really sensitive, actually. Like, and I think a stat like that just highlights how um, how easy it, it it can be to become uh, homeless. And um, you know, yeah, as you just mentioned, there's um, double the demand at uh, at the Edmonton Food Bank right now compared to at the start of the pandemic. And we already know that homelessness has become just so much more more prevalent um, throughout the pandemic, and you know tying that to just like lack of support from um, like the city and the province. So uh, yeah, this um, you know should be a pretty a pretty a pretty big um, call for call for help here. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I feel like framing it within. This is these are these are intentional actions in in a war against you know poor people. Um, I think really is 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 a good way to frame it, and I feel like there are a lot of people um, who are participating in this. We talked about the government with uh, social assistance, but there are also a lot of companies that are profiting from inflation that are making a lot of money using government subsidies, whether it's from oil and gas that we've seen recently as the provincial government in Alberta has done, but most notably with uh, groceries in Canada. So Loblaws um, has seen uh, sales growth that has been staggering in the millions and millions of dollars since the pandemic has started. And that has kind of cooled off a little bit recently, but it's still been in stark contrast to how they've treated their workers, which has included uh, cutting back on the costs, or sorry, cutting back on the COVID wage benefit. So $2 extra that these workers got on top of, you know, the already dangerous work that they're doing um, has been clawed back. So when you combine that with, you know, all these rising costs of living, it feels like there's nowhere for people to turn, Nicholas. And it's, it's ridiculous when... Lawless is making $387 million 
um, more money, it's it just doesn't make any sense. And, and that's just quarter two profit jumps. So that's not even accounting for an entire year of, of profit. Yeah. Yeah. That's just their, yeah. Lala's Q2 profit, yeah, was $387 million. And uh, I just need to add, that's that's without the bread uh, price fixing scheme. Ah, yes. Yeah. Very important. Asterisks um, on that. Which they discovered um, back whenever that was. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, I mean, I think just, you know, throughout throughout the last few months, we've been pretty inundated with this stark contrast between companies uh, making record profits and people, yeah, losing their jobs or being subject to inflation and then people getting, I guess, used to the inflation because... You know, as we kind of just said, you don't have a choice. And then the fact that people have gotten used to inflation, companies um, then piggybacking off of that to raise their prices even more because they know people are just kind of stuck having to pay more. And then that drives um, inflation further. Um, And I mean, you know, companies have just have been like uh, just explicitly bragging to their um, to their shareholders about this, so it's not even um, it's not even like it's like it's a secret. No, not at all. And and this was even more, I guess, like stark at the peak of the pandemic when companies like Amazon, for example, were making record profits. But now that things have really quieted down, um, pandemic wise, not saying that you know COVID is over, but I think it makes it easier to lose sight of how much better companies are doing compared to workers and how much that discrepancy and that huge gap isn't being addressed meaningfully for people and the status quo is just prevailing in so many meaningful ways and one way that i think this is happening is through um i guess media coverage that's really favorable to businesses but i think that also frames coverage and puts personal responsibilities onto consumers as if you can budget your way out of like record high inflation or you can budget your way out of poverty wages by strategically making purchases when they're necessary or not necessary. Um, when I think if media was critical of who they should be critical of or at least um, the people who have influence to change the situation – there would be much heavier criticism of um, Loblaws and and less, you know, advice columns on how to save money or how to how to, you know, budget on a, on a, on pennies basically. Yeah, coming coming closer to the end of the episode here um, is a couple uh, fun examples just from the last uh, few days that we gathered from uh, Global News. Um, really, it's just kind of I mean. You know, maybe 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 some of you saw this uh, that like Bloomberg graphic that was going around for a while. It's like how to deal with inflation, and it was like try eating uh, lentils instead of beef. Uh, don't buy in bulk. And then the third point was just no one would no one said this would be easy, and that was it. Um, oh yeah, and and the article headline there was like inflation's gonna hit you especially hard if you make less than three hundred k a year. And then those were the uh, those were the, the coping mechanisms. Try lentils instead of meat. Don't buy in bulk. And no one said this would be easy. So, anyways, we're basically uh, getting into that that level here of um, uh, cringe, I guess. You know, we were. This is this is basically bringing a bit of um, our, our cringe corner into the um, episode. But um, so here's here's one. It's, it just says it's called rising inflation eating into young Canadians disposable income. It's insane. It's insane was in uh, quotes. So already right off the bat here, (laughs) the headline is framing it as like, oh, boo-hoo, your disposable income is being eaten into. Young Canadians, well, you have it so easy. Like, uh, who cares if your disposable income is is being um, eaten into? Like, uh, you shouldn't be living so, like, lavishly um, anyway. So... You can tell what the framing is right off the bat, and then um, let's let's see here who uh, who they talked to. 
in this article. Uh, so um, Deborah, who lives in Toronto and has been working as a front-end developer for the last two years, okay, so not mm-hmm. exactly, you know, I would say representative of the uh, working class. Actually, let's let's see what what's the front what's the. Well, I feel like that's also like a very strategic play from the journalists or even the people answering the questions in this whole framing is that these are people who could probably afford to make some of these suggested cuts or, you know, like we were talking about, you know, some, you know, small lifestyle change isn't isn't meaningful. But when someone's margin for error in their monthly budget is like negative five dollars and, you know, they don't know how they're going to, you know, pay for everything they have to pay for um, to survive, then... These really don't apply, but if you're a front-end web developer in Canada's biggest city, your salary probably makes you enough money that you can, you know, be flexible. Yeah, you can enact whatever change you need to fit with whatever times you're in. Um, but yeah. it's, it's just not representative of what's going on for the vast majority of people. Okay, yeah. So I just looked it up. So, um, I mean, uh, front-end developer average salary in Toronto is uh, 90000 per year. That's lower than I thought it, it was, but I guess a front of deve- a front of developer in Canada at Amazon, um, it says is one hundred and thirty four thousand. Um, this is just off of Indeed, so I don't know if that's accurate or not. But um, even if those numbers are lower than they actually are, that I would say is still not representative of the kind of person that's um, being uh, truly affected by um, inflation in the way that we talked about earlier in the uh, episode. So anyways, sure, Deborah's a front-end developer in Toronto. Let's see a little bit more about her situation and what kind of advice she has. Uh, Deborah says, rent is the uh, major variable eating away at her income and ability to save for big goals like buying a house. As for easing discretionary spending, Deborah is scaling back on outings to restaurants and bars and not even bothering with concerts, noting how often they're getting cancelled. Instead of Let's go here, here, here. It's more like, okay, let's go here and share something. Maybe I won't buy a second drink, she said. Or, you know, I might have friends over and we'll split Uber Eats or something like that. Just seems a little more conscientious. Travel is one activity she was hoping to get back into, but is holding off because plane tickets and accommodations have gotten pricier. The outgoing delays at airports is another factor influencing her decision. So, okay, this is... Like, the things that are being talked about here it almost seems like they just made up this uh, person, Deborah, and gave them quotes to try and paint a picture of young Canadians as living excessively extravagant lifestyles, like, oh, boohoo, you, you, uh, maybe you won't have a second drink. And like, even instead of let's go here, 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 it's more like let's go here and share something. Like that, that quote there is just written to, to try and portray, um, you know, to, to try and perpetuate the stereotypes of like uh, millennials as just um, uh, spending too much. No, absolutely, and I feel like it's 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 very it's very alienating to read something like this and to you know if you if you're taking this at face value, I feel like you can definitely you know, have feelings of inadequacy or, you know, question your own, you know, I guess how, how you match up with these people that are, yeah, living in this world where it's like, okay, the option is between one drink or two. And that's what this, you know, monumental economic crisis and inflation means to you. It's the difference mm-hmm. between one drink or two. It's not whether or not you're going to be homeless, you know, or whether yeah. or not you're, gonna have food in your fridge um and it's i feel like it's dishonest because you're right this is not representative of anyone and it almost feels made up yeah well and this is what i mean this is how the media wants you to think about inflation they don't want you to think about it as companies like loblaws raising their prices and making record uh, a record 387 million dollars in profit in Q2 alone, they want you to think about it as your responsibility. And if you are being hit hard from inflation, it's just because you failed to uh, scale back your extravagant spending. Um, So anyways, 
sure, maybe they made up this person, Deborah. Maybe uh, Deborah's position as a front end developer in Toronto isn't representative of the working class, but you know, let's see who else they talk about um, in this article. Maybe the next person that they mention will be more representative of the kind of person who is Maybe, yeah. uh, hit really hard by um, inflation. So, Jen Che, who grew up in Toronto, oh, okay, uh, another, another Toronto story, mm-hmm. um, is a marketing professional in the fintech industry. Oh, okay, fintech and has been working and living abroad for the past several months. She now lives in Switzerland, where she has said she is making significantly more money and has been able to save more money than she did while working in the city she was raised in. What? Who are these people? Who, yeah. <laughs> how are they finding these people? And why are they talking to them? It's, I, not only that, but like in the context of Switzerland as a country, I, I highly recommend any listener... Go and and look up what it's like to be from Switzerland, and and not only that, but how difficult it is to immigrate there and to you know work successfully, and how expensive of a society it is. So yeah, it's it's baffling who these people are and how this is framed as um um yeah, just young Canadians. These are young Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then so they talked to a personal finance expert apparently here who says. To get through inflationary periods like this one, budgeting is imperative. She advises young professionals to set up sinking funds, which are reserves of money set aside for different expenses and oftentimes bigger expenses. Every month you put money in one or multiple funds to be used for a later date. Omar, why haven't I thought about this? Yeah. You know why what? haven't you thought about this? That imaginary money sitting in my account, I should be moving it into another. You just bank have to, account. yeah. You just have to yeah. set up a sinking fund. For that, it. I, I completely missed the bag. You know, that's the, my bad. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that was your first mistake. Um, <laughs> uh, additionally, she suggests going back to some of the low cost activities from the early days of the pandemic, whether it be picnics, walks, or bike rides, in order to save some cash while maintaining a social life. Hmm. Interesting. And also, I love how this reinforces the idea that like poverty is, is you know, a, a series of personal decisions that leads to uh, uh, undesirable state that can then be reversed through a series of personal decisions, better, more positive ones and had no structural uh, influence or impacts um, beyond the individual who, like I said, Make these decisions <laughs> on yourself. Yeah. Um, ignore the reason why this keeps happening to millions of people. It seems like that's what's happening here. It's very infuriating, for yep. sure. Yeah. And the last piece of advice from this um, expert here is, is uh, with the potential of a recession looming, um, Nelson, that's the finance expert, Nelson is encouraging young uh, professionals to bulk up their emergency savings accounts or create one if they haven't already. Uh, in case you missed the uh, memo, the whole premise of this article is that people are being hit hard by inflation. What kind of position do you think people are in to bulk up uh, or create an emergency savings account if they don't already have one? At a certain point, we're going to have to start thinking and looking outside of this like capitalist ideology to create answers because it's getting to the point now where the contradictions are becoming so obvious and like it's almost like at the surface level um but obviously we're all still living in this so but i don't know it's it might just get weirder we might just keep seeing this but you're right how can you spend money that you don't have? How can you move money that you don't have in the context of an economic crisis that's impacting people and causing them to have mm-hmm. less money? Unless, of course, you have some connection to Switzerland or, you know, yeah, you work in this very, um, I don't want to say very small, but comparatively small industry to what almost everyone else is doing. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a small industry. It's just that it isn't, it isn't, you know, accurate. It doesn't really like represent what most people are going through. So 
using those examples in an article here that uh, is supposedly giving a more holistic view of how young Canadians are um, holding up through this inflation uh, crisis. Um, as like the more we're talking about it, I think, yeah, there's there's the angle that this this article is maybe you know trying to pin more of the responsibility on you. But I definitely think that anybody who's being hit hard by inflation reading this just knows how unrealistic it is. So I think maybe more of the purpose of this article is to try and just shape more of a narrative um, around inflation not being a big deal and not really needing to be something that we address or that anyone pays any kind of political price for um, or that uh, needs to lead to any kind of um, systemic change. And they really try to drive that point home in how they end the article here because they say, uh, despite all the economic uneasiness right now, there is a segment of young professionals who aren't overly worried. So as if what they, as if what they just talked about, the uh, front-end developer in Toronto and the um, fintech worker who moved to Switzerland, uh, those were their examples of economic uneasiness. So here's their example of young professionals who aren't worried. Toronto-based portfolio manager Charlie uh, Digalakis says the current economic climate has certainly caught his attention, especially the high gas prices, but he feels confident in the decisions he's been making amid the trifecta of soaring inflation, high housing prices, and rising interest rates. I think I've been budgeting really well during this time, and, you know, if I have to continue to draw back on some of my expenses that aren't necessities, then I'll continue to do that, he said. Well, folks, there you have it. That's all you need to do to stay afloat and to be in a really good spot. Just draw back on some of the expenses that um, aren't aren't necessities, and uh, you'll uh, you'll you'll be uh, swimming. Exactly. That's that is the recipe. They've solved inflation. I think that's 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 we we should thank them. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, that was uh, an article from Wednesday. So, global just hitting us back to back here with bangers. Just to jump in real quick, oh. Global, but originally the Canadian press. Oh, okay, right. So this was just posted by Global, but... So reposted, yes. So, um, yes, reposted. So they use the wire service. Not to excuse Global, because they're okay. still platforming, I of see, course. I but see. it is a wire story. Tell um, me more about the Canadian press. The Canadian press is a pretty old institution, similar to like the American press or the Associated Press... Um, where it is focused on news gathering for the sake of news gathering in places and ways that other publications might not be doing to essentially ensure that they can get the almost like standard story of the day and make sure that that can also be used by anyone else. So they run a wire service essentially where you can pay the Canadian press, or in some ways, I think you can also use it um, in unpaid ways, but mostly it's a service for bigger publications to, yeah, include CP stories in their publications to fill out places that they might not have reported or just get stories that in places that they aren't. So that's gotcha. kind of what CP Kind of like resume about. padding, I guess. Definitely like resume padding. <laughs> well, Global definitely didn't need it because they had one of their own coming immediately the day after um and the headline here is uh inflation high rates putting big purchases on hold how to budget for must buys so some more problematic headline framing here yeah inflation is only uh hitting people who are planning big purchases so i mean what's what's the big deal right mm -hmm. um Canadians are increasingly shying away from buying big-ticket items amid rampant, infla rampant inflation and rising interest rates, new polling shows. But experts say there are ways to adjust your budget when avoiding major purchases isn't an option. Um, anyways, I, yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, but uh, they talked to another personal finance expert here um, who says it's, uh, quote, prudent to put off big-ticket purchases right now. 
well, good thing, um, good thing I read this because I was definitely going to make a, a big ticket purchase right now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's true, right? Like I was, I completely forgot that I was going to buy something very expensive, but then I read this. Yeah, you were going to uh, redecorate your place, right, Omar? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been telling you about that German shelving system I've been really interested in. Um, oh, the Germans know what they're of doing. Of course, yeah. yeah this, well, know. the good thing this article is here to rescue you because um, this personal finance expert has told Global that it can be fruitful to put off major redecorating um, or expensive trips for a year or 18 months as you can use that time to save for the project instead. So I bet you didn't uh, think about that. No, no, definitely um, And uh, here's another pro tip for you. Other expenses such as home appliances or a new vehicle could see price drops during economic downturns. So this recession could be a really good thing for you uh, mm. if you play your cards correctly, Omar. Um, you may actually get a better deal by waiting if that is possible for you to do, she says. Very interesting. I can wait to find out that I don't have ten thousand dollars to buy the card that I want. But what, yeah. what what's what's going to change between now and a year? <laughs> I guess maybe I'll work more, and more of that money will go towards my increasingly rising basic necessities. But <laughs> yeah, and uh, what about a home? You ask. Well, despite rising interest rates pushing monthly mortgage payments higher. The resulting cooldown in the housing market might actually make it a good time for some buyers to get into a home, according to Leah Zlatkin, a mortgage broker and expert with LowestRates.ca. That's really interesting. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have expected that uh, a mortgage broker would be saying that it's a good time to get into the housing market. When you first read that to me, I think I was pretty shocked because it's not every day that you see someone who works in a field that could directly benefit from the advice that they're giving directly benefit from advice that they're giving, you know, like I feel like it's, it's something special we should keep reading. Well, no, you do. I mean, I, I, I think typically you, you see people acting in self-interest, but you know, mortgage brokers are typically the exception. Ah, yes. Right. Yes, that's true. So yeah. that's why I was just really shocked here. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, they're usually very, uh, completely selfless. Okay, I guess throwing a little curveball in here, um, this, uh, this mortgage broker says, the other main factor is your sense of job security as the cooling economy spurs rumblings of recession and a possible wave of layoffs. Uh, I would be much more concerned about losing a job rather than high rates, she says. So she's telling you, go ahead and buy that house. Don't worry about the high interest rates. Just worry about keeping your job. <laughs> Something that like you should have thought about that before you quit. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, but you know, still not all <laughs> not all hope is lost. Uh, for those keen on entering the market or who are finding their existing mortgage becoming too expensive for their comfort, there are a few strategies to stick to your budget. Zlatkin notes that some government-backed insured mortgages with five-year fixed-rate terms are looking like a cheaper option these days. A common solution to mortgage pain, however, is changing your amortization, the amount of time in which you pay back the loan. Adjusting a 20 or 25 year mortgage to a 30 year term results in smaller chunks of monthly payments, Slatkin says. If you're buying and need to keep the numbers low, I would say look to put more down, sorry, look to put down more and look to take a smaller mortgage, he says. Okay, great. Well, there's some great strategies there for you. Um, Probably the winner there, I would say, is to uh, take out a 30-year mortgage uh, instead of a 20-year. Um, because if you didn't know, that will result in smaller chunks of monthly payments. Yeah, save, it's, it's a great equation of saving yourself in the short term to screw yourself over in the long term um, by giving more money that you supposedly don't have, which is why you're saving in the first place or doing these changes, the logic is is there. That's what I'm saying here. Yeah, I, I mean, they're just talking about like record high, or not record high, but very high interest rates right now. And as a mortgage broker, uh, curious that she's telling you to take out a 30-year mortgage 
um, during a time when the interest rates are so high, uh, when in a 30-year mortgage you'd be paying so much more um, interest. So anyways, yeah, not really sure what's going on there. But yeah, these are just some of the, uh, the tips that um, the media is putting out there for uh, all of you to benefit from and to get your lives in order. So, um, we, you know, we definitely hope that uh, that's been really helpful and we're really, you know, happy to uh, platform these um, helpful self-improvement tips here at uh, Is This For Real? Mm-hmm. No, I'm glad we could end on a positive note with some useful information for people. For sure. And um, yeah, if, if any of that didn't help, then um, my, you know, tried and true method is if you don't have um, any money, just have more money. And that, then you'll yeah, be fine, you know? That works too. And I'm sure, yeah. um, I think uh, the personal finance experts um, in these articles would probably uh, tend, tend to agree with you. Um, although they, they, they might have some, um, some strong opinions about where you should be uh, immediately spending that money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess the last thing I maybe want to share is um, I was talking to someone who lives in my building and they work for a union and they're seeing firsthand how people's lives are falling apart and, and they raise this question that's a pretty simple one of, you know, what's going to happen when people can't afford to buy things, but our economy is based on people building things or making things and people buying them. When, if your job doesn't pay you enough to live, how is it going to pay you enough to buy things to uphold the economy? Then what? So I feel like that train heading in that direction, it's, it's only heading towards a cliff, but we have no conception or idea that this is happening, let alone what will be across the edge of um, the end of capitalism or the economy as we know it. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a- this. We have this information, though. We had this article. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Why are you still asking that question? We already answered that. Yeah. What am I yeah. saying? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely something we'll, I think, uh, you know, continue to discuss because, um, as we talked about, uh, inflation isn't, um, isn't going anywhere, uh, and we're, you know, dealing with long kind of ongoing crises, um, that, uh, are, you know, also not, not going anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, it was really good to, to talk today and, yeah, reflect on, some of the stuff that uh, has been happening in our uh, city and that we've kind of been been going through here. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing where these kind of conversations uh, continue to go. No, absolutely. And um, I'm really glad we're still able to continue doing this because as long as we've been doing it, things have changed um, and it's really informed what we've been able to talk about. So, I'm grateful to have these conversations and, and grateful for people who are listening. So, yeah, thanks for, for tuning in. Yep. Also, big thanks to the um, uh, Patreon supporters. Um, if you remember, we had the Patreon paused uh, for this year, um, for the first half of this year. So, yeah, we had just turned it back on in um, July. So, yeah, thanks very much, everyone, for um, for the support. Hopefully a lot of this has um, been uh, resonating with you. Uh, we've said this before, but we always welcome feedback and, um, are really happy to just talk with or, um, engage with you, uh, anytime on socials or if you want to write to us. Um, yeah, just, uh, stay in touch. For sure.